Welcome to the DGR Podcast. I'm your host, David Gray. Hello everyone, David here and welcome back to the DGR Podcast. This is episode number 79. I hope you're all doing incredibly well. I have a great guest for you today. I have Brandon Accardi. I first met Brandon, or I met Brandon, the only time I actually really met him, was he came to our Melbourne seminar in February in Melbourne strength culture. And I was very impressed with him then. Very nice guy. Um, I think we have a, had a couple of beers afterwards, maybe even a pizza and a smart guy, nice guy and a very, very good coach. And I've been keeping a, I won't say close eye on him ever since, but because I don't really consume much content anymore. If I'm on Instagram, I'm on social media. It's like working on our page, but a far eye, let's say I've been, I've been keeping an eye and I can see the progress that he's making and the way he thinks about movement and the way he talks about movement. I'm very impressed and I wanted to get him on to have a chat about that. He's a bit more in the weightlifting niche, but honestly, like these these concepts can be just applied to anything. And we actually speak about that, having a good lens, having a good model of movement and being able to apply that to any type of any system. Um, we spoke about uh, constraints and cueing. We spoke about variety and variability, how important that might be. We spoke about shin angles, of course, a little bit about center of mass. And towards the end of the podcast, we spoke about social media and like what types of posting strategies he's using or we're using and just things like that, because I think he's starting to really push and make a good name for himself in the industry. And partly now the world we live in now is about doing a good job on social media and making sure that your ideas are out there, having good ideas and making sure you can get eyeballs on them and consistently do that in a, in a, in a focused manner, I would say. So yeah, I think it's tons of value in this podcast. Brandon is a super nice, smart guy. Make sure you give him a follow and give it a share if you like it. So without further ado, here's the pod. Enjoy. <laughs> Go on. Um, okay, Brandon, welcome to the pod. How are you? I'm doing good. You're the Irish wonder boy. I got told to, uh, <laughs> it's sticking. Is it, it's making you, you've, a... been, you've been, been told to say a lot of stuff. No, I haven't. I haven't. It's, uh, <laughs> thanks for having me on. You're welcome, man. Good to it's good to chat. You're my first guest in a while, actually. Yeah, I've been keeping up with the podcast, and I've really been enjoying the Q and A or the solo ones because I feel like uh, I just really enjoy your thought process on certain things. But yeah, I noticed you haven't had a guest for a while, so I'm excited. Mm, I think we kind of fell behind on the pod. Um, not fell behind, but like, yeah, it's as you probably know now. So you started one, didn't you? And it's it's tough to stay on top of it, like because. It's not just the recording, it's actually the, the booking and the editing and all that other stuff as well. Yeah, I found that I'd rather not do an episode if I, I just don't want to interview people for the sake of it, which I'm pretty sure you're on the same page with. Um, or I'd rather just have people who are like my friends who I can bounce ideas off and then I'm, I feel like we may as well just record it because I feel like people will get value out of it mm -hmm. um, regardless of the topic. So like whether it's content creation, business or training, I feel mm -hmm. like the 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 like inquisitive person who's interested in training would just enjoy listening to that. Yeah. Well, I think there's a nice lens, like in, even when you're putting up a post or, you know, actually trying to like define your niche, people talk about this all the time, defining your niche. And for me, I talk about things that I like talking about and my niche is pretty much like people who like what I talk about. That's as far as I get into it. <laughs> Whether right or wrong, that's what I think about. 
Well, you could almost say that they're people who have the same kinds of values as you, not necessarily the, like, I want to learn how to supinate a foot. They're going to stay for your perspective on business, your perspective on content creation. Um, And yeah, I think that people just, you you do that that graph where it's like becoming well-known and known well, and you got to do both. You got to do both. I think if you want to be super, super, super successful. Or not, yeah, like relatively successful at least. But um, you do have a niche in the weightlifting world. Um, now, I would say most people in that world have a very specific niche. Would you say yours is less specific in terms of, would you say you have more people following you who aren't actually maybe that interested in weightlifting, but are, are interested in your thoughts just on movement? Yeah, I would say that. I would say since I've been kind of expanding or just refining my thought process with the posts and just being a bit more deliberate with that strategy, I'm getting people who are coming to my page. They don't necessarily care about weightlifting specifically. And and who, like the nuances of like doing this in the pool or this kind of technique, that would make up such a small part of a seminar or the mentorship that I run. A majority of the concepts that I'm talking about are like my model for human movement, my model for programming, and then how can we filter that into your demographic or whatever you use. And that for, for myself, I draw a lot of inspiration from things outside of the field that are not necessarily in strength and conditioning. And I try and find like just general, like just generally good principles uh, that are like consistent in all fields and how I can bring that into weightlifting or strength and conditioning. And I think just people just appreciate or enjoy that. Mm-hmm. Like what, where are you, where are you drawing inspiration from? Uh, well, there's definitely a lot of people. Well, if we talk about your lens for human movement, people wouldn't necessarily be looking to you for how to coach weightlifting better. But if you definitely, can I hope not, <laughs> <laughs> but, but here's the thing. If you can understand propulsion strategies and you understand mid stance and you understand gait and you understand how those things are reflected in human movement, you can start to understand, well, maybe I'm noticing these differences in all these similarities in human movement. They're going to be present in all activities, regardless of the, of the context. So trying to find things that exist without context and then bringing them into weightlifting. So gait and propulsive strategies are an example of ones that are brought into weightlifting and those things are resembled really well. And so often people will have a very rigid understanding of what they believe weightlifting technique to be. And if you just have a good understanding of human movement, a model that is, uh, that explains lots of different contexts, then that can be really useful. And then, Mm -hmm. yeah, just try and bring, I know that's just one example uh, that I can think of right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I think a good, like a good model of human movement explains like, all human movement pretty much you're able to see anything so i definitely wouldn't be able to coach weightlifting but if someone sent me a video of a movement the coach sent me a video of a movement and said like or uh, uh, anyone sent me a video of them doing a movement and said like i feel like i'm losing it here or something i, I think i could be able to pick out uh fairly i could be able to reason fairly well as to why that's happening uh, I might not be able to fix it, but I'd be able to maybe maybe see that. Fun, funnily enough, there's a client in my gym at the moment, and um, I told him I was. He just wanted to come in and train, and I told him I was doing a podcast. And he said, um, "Am I allowed to do weightlifting in this gym? Would there some weightlifting in this program? <laughs> he has an SSC program uh, from the from the SSC coach, and uh, so he said, I've never seen anyone doing any weightlifting here. I said, Yeah, you can do whatever you want. <laughs> That's mad. So is he? So he just started training with you? Oh, no, 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 oh. no, I, I rehabbed him like over oh, two I years did. ago. And <laughs> um, 
we just train together since and yeah that's what happens with a lot of clients but then they like are back with their team and stuff and they have some snc that they well we're, we're basically doing snc then at that stage but they have some snc then that they have to follow a program sometimes they follow it sometimes they don't follow it but it's nice he's actually said he's really enjoying like i, I got him to show me some of the movements and he said he's really enjoying playing around with that it's his first time um but yeah you do, do can you do a bit of weightlifting yourself can you do nah. any power cleans nah doesn't nah. interest well, you it, it does not interest me at all we used to do some like as part of our ga team we used to do some yeah power cleans like what's the difference between because actually i was just looking there at his program and he had a, a hang power clean what's the difference between a hang power clean and a hang clean so if it says uh power so power is the position you're going to catch it in so if it's a power you're going to catch it above parallel and if it doesn't say power then the coach is just denoting you to or telling you to catch it into a full squat so below ah, parallel. okay all right okay well then we would have done yeah i would have done a bit of both in the past yeah full um, squats yeah we would have done a bit of both and then like we also would have done like snatches and stuff and lads just absolutely like <laughs> like hurl hurlers and gaelic footballers who need to be able to get their arms overhead like can't train the next day because their shoulders are so fucked so like <laughs> <laughs> i would love to be a fly on the wall and watching that session that would just be the best thing ever people yeah. have flamed crossfit for so long but i would love to see some gaelic footballers do cleans and snatches yeah so i actually i actually worked with a client several years ago this was like in my <laughs> this was in my era of like hating crossfit and as a result <laughs> like probably hating weightlifting as well um where yeah i worked with a, a client who was one of the best hurlers in ireland at the time uh and like known for like being able to catch a ball overhead and all this stuff, just doing unreal things. And yeah, he said that he can't, he couldn't, like he had to stop catching the ball overhead because he was, his shoulder was sore constantly from doing snatches. I was like, should you not, <laughs> would you not just take out the snatches? And he said, no, our SNC coach won't let us. Oh, so man. Yeah. That like turned me off. It. And now like I've come back around. I'm like, nah, it's just the right tool for the, the right job. It's just an exercise. The Olympic just, exercise. just exercises. Yep. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about your, some of your, like, um, around, around the model that you have, cause you've been trying to develop a, a model around weightlifting. I think you've done a really good job and, and I've only really taken notice more of your co content Brandon, Brandon, since you came to our workshop in, when was that? February? February. Yep. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I, apologies, but like, I've only been really watching since then. <laughs> oh, and I think funny. you've done, I think you've been, it's been really nice to watch your journey and it's really nice to, you know, sometimes when you listen to podcast guests, you see people, you hear, listen to people who are at like the top of the industry, like they're there, you, you know, you listen to whatever podcasts and it's like Mike Boyle and all these people who are just, they're there already. Whereas I think you're not quite there. I'm definitely not there, but like there's a, a come up happening. And I can see that come up happening. And so there's no, it's nice to see something as it's occurring. So what, like, what differences would you say? Mm, that's a bit of a shit question, but like around regular weightlifting, how re people regularly look at weightlifting versus how you look at weightlifting. What are some big differences that you would see there? Or, or at least like, I don't know, how would you explain it differently to a coach? We, that's a good question. It is, it's a great question because now we can dive down all, all different kinds mm -hmm. of avenues. And you can that. go whatever way, yeah. You can go whatever way you want. Well, if we, 
one of the big ones is if we talk about archetypes and how certain people are just built different. So if we start with how, if we start with the understanding that not all lifters are going to move the same because they have a different structure. So if we can kind of fit people into some neat little categories, that usually, that usually is a good place to start. So I'll usually, um, which is something that I've learned from Greg Hawthorne and Bill Hartman. And then obviously from your stuff that there's, you've got cones, funnels and rectangles, and those people are really well received well resembled in weightlifting. So you'll see people who are very effective in later phases of propulsion, your more funnels who will pull back a little bit more, a bit more effective in like ER uh, and they'll, they'll pull back. They'll have a bit more of an arm bend, whereas your rectangles, your wider athletes, like they're just wide everywhere. Those athletes are going to be very effective in mid stance. So when you see them perform a movement, they might cut the pull shorter and they might sneak under the bar. They might not pull back as much. Uh, when you say, what, do, what do you mean when you say pull back? So imagine in the weightlifting, you know how uh, in sprinting, you see this like nice long extension. Mm -hmm. So in weightlifting, they talk about that as well. So you've got this nice, pretty extension at the top of the pool where you're shrugging. I'm like demonstrating shrugging. Yeah. Uh, so this so triple you, extended position, but this triple extended extended position, is everywhere. Exactly. It's in all sports. So in weightlifting, that triple extension, you might see that person, that athlete who's like, say your wider ISA or your wider athlete who they might be a little bit more vertical in that extension, mm -hmm. or you might not even see as full of an extension. Whereas your athlete who's a little bit narrower, um, particularly like more narrower through the pelvis, uh, they might just like drive their body backwards uh, and because they're not as effective in mid stand. So, you know, have you've, you've talking a lot, you've spoken a lot about hinging and how certain athletes are not as like, they might hinge from their ribs. You see that a lot in weightlifting where people will just extend their knees mm -hmm. off the floor and yeah. they'll want to create a bit of, um, they'll, they'll create that relative motion more so through their spine and through their ribs. And then when they get to mid stance, they'll just throw themselves backwards and create more of a, more of like a really extended posture where they'll throw their body back and will, and it's really common in weightlifting. If you don't have this understanding of different shapes, producing force in different ways to just say that those people are either one outliers or two, that that's not an effective strategy where some of the best weightlifters will actually move like that. So it, that just kind of sets people up to understand, well, hold on, maybe I don't need to out coach these natural tendencies my athlete has, and maybe I need to just focus on good exercise selection to help leverage some other strategies that they're not as effective with. So mm -hmm. understanding how to create a good quality hinge is so important, creating length through the glutes, because whenever that person, say if it's a narrow athlete who creates a lot of flexion through their spine, they just feel like they've just got sore hips all the time, or they yeah. just feel like they've never had their glutes work. So you might like get them squatting. They might just have no ass. They might, uh, yeah, usually that, or they might just, you put them in a kickstand hinge and you just see them shake straight away. And that's on body weight. And I'm talking athletes who are clean and jerking 170 kilos and they just have never loaded those tissues because they've mm -hmm. never been exposed to those or they don't have that movement option. They actually don't have that position. So archetypes are a big part of the model. Um, things like center of mass, relative motion, um, being able to get into, you know, not like internal rotation as a downward force is something that I've learned from you and taken from you. Um, whereas, we're, you know, most people are exposed to a very linear model where we're looking for straight lines where we just see um, there's a lot of arcs and a lot of, there's a lot of rotation and we need it in weightlifting. Mm -hmm. um, what about the shins? I see you talking about shins a lot. Is that, that's, that's, that's definitely not talking about you. Talk that's about not you, at all. No, most people actually, that's not talked about anywhere. 
Yeah, so <laughs> I talked about the only place it's talked about is the sprinting world. Um, you see, yeah. you see, like a ton of sprint coaches talk about the shin shin angles, which makes sense, but not no one in weightlifting. I don't see anyone else apart from myself and Angus. I mm-hmm. would say have ever mentioned like shin angle or like look mm-hmm. at a shin angle. Um, and you so in weightlifting, one of the things that they talk about a lot. So it's so funny because once you once you, if you have any understanding of anything outside of sport and how someone creates acceleration, you'll go, well, that's fucking dumb. So <laughs> you'll see the shins drop forward and sometimes, and the heel will lift up. That's max propulsion. Yeah. And imagine if you've got 200 kilo barbell in your hands, when the shins drop forward, there's all this load at the front of the body and the heels are going to lift up more as you create propulsion, as you create force. So a lot of the times coaches will be like, no, that's an error. You've got to stay flat footed for as long as you can um, or like stay in your heels or just stuff like that. So it, it doesn't really, it, but then when you see the sport and you see the athletes moving at the highest level, you just don't see that. And then, they're trying to, you know, correct these errors, which are just really good, good strategies. So yeah. angles, <laughs> I know, I know, it's so they're funny. Just, they're just overcorrecting. <laughs> like, you know, you see someone who's That's what it is. Fa- falling forward and their heel is coming off the floor. <laughs> he's going to move. He's going somewhere. He's going somewhere. And then like you try and correct that with heel pressure. It's not, or not, not heel pressure. Like keep the weight in your heels. It's, it's, it's a complete overcorrection. It's the same in, in squatting where, where someone is falling forward or hinging forward and then you're trying to keep all their weight in the heels. The, the common denominator is like get into your midfoot and when you're going to push, <laughs> like it's that midfoot to kind of metatarsal pressure. And this is a common movement strategy. Everywhere in the world, you're just going to see the maximum amount of push coming from that position. So overcorrecting that way, like push through your heels is definitely not the answer because you're not going anywhere then. So then a big one they do is like a flat footed pull. So they'll be like, nah, you can't lift the heels in the pool. So you'll do a clean pull or you'll practice that extension, but the heels have to stay down. Yeah. So guess what happens then? The knee just snaps, (laughs) the knee just snaps back. And then they're like, well, why does your knee and hip hurt? Like, I don't know. (laughs) Or, or, Or like the, yeah, that, or then you'll see like us, or you, what I've learned from you. And then how I teach a hinge is like floating heel. And they're like, why have you got the heel floating? Like, why is there a sheet of paper there? Or like, why are you doing a hinge on the edge of the plate? And I'm like, fucking dude, I don't know, man. Where do you start? <laughs> <laughs> Just like, give me $800 and I'll teach you what it, what this is all about. I'll show, mm-hmm. you, show you the, the red pill. Uh, what what does the crazy. $800 get me? The $800, nah, for you, David, it's free. Don't worry, <laughs> special for this episode only. You know what I've started to think, like, well, what I've thought about for a long time, you probably saw it in the, in the workshop, but I think to see a forward, a positive shin angle, because like, I think to, to simplify everything down around glutes and hips and internal rotation and all this stuff, I think I just want to start telling people, if you see a forward shin angle, a positive shin angle, that means that, that, that angle is being pretty much match not, well not necessarily but that means that the femur is at an angle as well right and that means that you're 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 going to use your hips because your 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 shin is forward so the shin is the language i teach is an anterior tilt the shin is in an anterior tilt the femur is in a posterior tilt or posterior tilting and now you can use your hip it's like saying touch your toes with locked out knees you definitely can't use your hips at all so just literally to get people to understand a positive shin angle and pushing from there cleans up, I would say, 
a large percentage of issues, regardless of the movement system that you're, or the movement that you're trying to employ. Uh, so yeah, I think like I've spoken about that for a long time, but I think I need to even narrow down even more on that and just be like positive shin angle for every time you want to push and that will clean up things. Even, even just like people teaching, there's just so much confusion. I guess the fitness industry is full of um, just like poor information being distilled down for generations and just like them not knowing how to coach an RDL well and them not knowing what relative motion is. And then if you don't know what that is and you don't know how to coach an RDL, um, you're just getting like a nice erector pump and a pelvis that is like really tucked under or you're getting like a joint pain from doing from being in a really extended position um, or, and, and in both, in both populations or both people, you're just seeing the shins come back as yeah. they're hinging. And then as they're extending, creating hip extension, you're seeing the shins come back again. Um, so yeah, I, I think just if people can learn how to teach a good quality hinge, just like it's, it is so worth the, time that you put into the person because it is so difficult it can be so difficult to coach because people are like i feel it in my back and yeah. i'm like i know you will fit. like yes we, we need to play around with the position or that's because you're just initiating the movement with your hip um yeah. and then like even even like the way you teach your seat a good morning to kind of feel the sit bones um into the chair uh and like creating length through the ribs length through the spine that's something that i've been um cueing a lot lately and know what are the abs doing um which these are all things that i think they might sound complicated at first but they play a big role in someone's movement strategy and i think um yeah there's so many ways we could take this conversation but no but yeah, it, it's, it, it, that just helps people understand what their hips actually are so like you're talking about the different different archetypes the different shapes the narrows and the wides like the common denominator between they all have different movement strategies but the common denominator between a lot of the people that end up feeling like shit regardless of the shape and regardless of how they move is they don't actually use their hips well so like i i, I have a, a wide person who ends up just extending their back and shoving their ribs forward a ton and they look like they can hinge well but they can't you have a narrow person who just flexes their spine and always stays counter mutated at the sacrum or sorry i don't even like talking about sacrums i, I just disregard sacrum but like <laughs> at least the movement at the sacrum but like they are naturally they begin in a counter mutate they naturally have a more counter mutated sacrum and it just they have no ability to actually get any any anterior tilt they also can't use their hips well so like narrows usually benefit more from learning to hinge but that's because they can't create any length through the hamstring or the glute wides can create length through the hamstring and the glute glute but only by compressing the shit out of their back uh actually not really at the glute more at the hamstring so it's like, just like this one it's just like that exactly that, the, just you can, shove oh your God. hips forward <laughs> and, and all you need to do to look at one of those is ask them to hinge and they just they just go into a shit ton of neck extension immediately yeah. and that's just driving extension like extensor tone into their body and if you look at a powerlifter doing a deadlift like they might set up in a very flexed spine so they're going to set up, like a lot of the time, very strong powerlifters set up in a flex spine to do their pull. But what do you see? You see neck extension all the time, every single time. And what that's doing is it's driving, ex and eyes, like their eyes and neck are trying to look up. And that's driving extensor tone into their body. Uh, so are you going to clean that up with a, with a powerlifter who's lifting a 1RM, or doing a 1RM pull? Definitely not. But 
with someone else like as soon as you try and move your hip you have to extend your neck that's telling you their idea of a hinge here is to just shove their ribs forward and their neck up so yeah there's definitely um definitely things to clean up i saw a really good post from you where you were talking about cues being constraints can you talk about that because everyone is everyone's obsessed around constraints in their coaching and like never speaking and i'm not so sure i think we've we've swung too far yeah i just think people parrot what others say and they have they haven't gone to the source or or bothered to learn from someone who's an expert in that field um, so I think if you think about what a constraint is, people think a constraint is a progression or a, people think a constraint is a fucking pause squat. That's what they think a constraint is, where a constraint is much more low resolution, uh, understanding of, of changing or shifting someone's movement. So the, uh, a good cue, well, if, if we think about how much fear people have placed on spinal flexion, so you're telling me that your words aren't going to impact the way someone's moves and that definitely does happen. So if we understand that cues, the, the cues that we use can steer people towards towards or away from certain movement options that we want them to achieve. If I tell someone to um, stay in the midfoot, if I tell someone to, you know, I want you to feel this kind of sensation and that feedback is matching that sensation, I don't need to change the cue. And for often, like often, I don't even need to think about constraints because I'm quite good at communicating different cues mm-hmm. to athletes and I'm trying to speak their language rather than just keep parroting the same kind of cues and waiting for them to click onto it. Um, I, one of the things that I always will say to someone once they click and understand the movement, I'm like, okay, how would you explain that to me? And they'll explain it to me in the weirdest way. And I'm like, okay, great. <laughs> so that's how you were conceptualizing the movement. Like that's what you were thinking you were trying to do. Uh, and that's why it was taking so long. So yeah, I think cues are constraints. I think you can you can be very effective with coaching a very difficult movement. And like, how could you place any more constraints on a kickstand hinge? Like you're on one leg. I'm telling, I need to teach you the movement. It's a very difficult movement to first learn because you're trying to create relative motion in someone who doesn't have that movement strategy. Exactly. If they can and do it well, it's, it, they probably don't need it. You yeah, know what well, I mean? Exactly right. Exactly right. They know how to feel their glutes. Like you, you're good athletes that have you know, that don't have, that aren't necessarily in too much pain through their hip that have a big glute. Um, they're moving well. You could set them up in a kickstand hinge and show them what midfoot pressure feels like. And they, they can already do it. Um, whereas your other athletes, they're going to need to be coached into that position. So yeah, I know, I know you kind of like, um, have spoken about self-organization and how self-organization can be like lazy coaching. Self-organization for me is more so explaining, to coaches why you're seeing certain strategies at high or intense um, situations. So like, why would you see a double bounce in a squat? That's self-organization. They didn't think consciously to double bounce out of the squat. I'm not saying that's like no one, I hope not is like our our kind of coaching is saying that self-organization is just them learning the movement for the first time. That's, the dumbest shit I've ever heard. When, so, I, yes. when I when I say that, I mean the like the the false interpretation of self organization. Yeah, yeah, the no, idea that mean. like they just and, and this is actually the perfect conversation for weightlifting because the the idea now like the 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 false interpretation of this whole self organization thing is just like show athletes a movement or tell them to do a movement and whatever way they do it is right and imagine. Imagine someone being able to imagine you saying to me, you're going to coach me to snatch and you say, here's a snatch off you go. I'll see you in 30 days. 
and versus you spending 30 days with me every single day coaching a snatch which do you think is going to look better imagine the snatch that i'm going to come back with after 30 days if if you just showed me once and i went away and did it the way my body wanted to do it it's fucking that's that's how people are coaching now that infuriates me <laughs> yeah I, I i definitely don't coach like that i'm extremely specific with how i will coach a movement and you're just going to see, well, with, with those, with good communication, you're going to see that person evolve a lot faster. Like I feel like I can get someone performing a good snatch in like five minutes um, where, and, and that's with like effective coaching and, and quite a bit of cueing. And I'm talking quite a little, quite a bit. Um, although the cues that I'm using are very general. The, and simple. That's, that's where the key is. So it's more the emphasis should be on like simple, effective language that summarizes a lot of the things that you're wanting the person to do opposed to, Oh, let's just don't talk to them at all. It's like, no, you, I don't know. I don't even, th- those, good luck to those coaches. I don't know. I don't associate with those kinds of people. But yeah. uh, I, going back to what you said about like athletes solving movement problems fast, um, I feel like it's. I think usually, you said that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So athletes. Not at, me. At, yeah, yeah. Yeah, sorry. Athletes will solve certain movement problems fast when they know that pattern already. So if I give someone a. So the context would be if I give someone a split snatch who is already a really good at who's already really good at snatching, well, chances are a split snatch is pretty similar to a full snatch. They're probably just gonna they're gonna pick up the movement. If I give someone who's really effective at hopping and I give them a hop and bound pattern, that's the movement problem. They already know how to hop and how to bound. The problem is solving how can you put those two things together, and that's where the the ability to practice things like repetition without repetition, which is stressing the body in different ways, which is creating or leveraging, if you think leveraging the principle of variability, that's how I would describe it. That would, that's how I would describe solving movement problems would just be, you're giving someone variability. I don't know if that makes mm-hmm. sense, David. That definitely makes sense. Yeah. Variety and variability, like different types of different types of movements. And then the variability will emerge in terms of like every rep is going to be different within every different type of movement that they do every single rep is going to be different every single snatch is going to be different there's your variability and then the variety is actually here's your 10 different types of ways that we can break down the snatch and practice like that type of movement or break down uh, some kind of bound or jump or whatever and then your constraints around each one of those can drive more more variability or less variability whichever whichever one you want because you will see like, yeah, like as if I was practicing a snatch now, like every rep would look completely different. Uh, whereas I'm sure like the world, the world's best weightlifter, a lot of their reps look very much the same, even though there's obviously different amounts of muscular activation and just slightly different joint angles, but much less than what, what would be for, for someone like me. Yeah, there's there's a highly individual coordination pattern, but the way in which you're yeah the the rep, the variability rep to rep is is a lot lower in someone who's more elite. But yeah, mm-hmm. if, just from like an injury prevention perspective, if you think about like getting athletes to solve movement problems, or if you think about think about the variability, um, variability as a lens for injury prevention or injury management, um, you see athletes who just have no variability feel like shit. Um, or usually feel like shit. So you're stressing the body in the same ways you're in the same positions all the time and how valuable it can be rather than thinking, Oh, we need to prevent injuries. So we need to do this Nordic curl. 
well, how about I just think of like four different hamstring exercises or four different foot placements for our foam roller bridge. And that's probably a really good lens to view programming through. And that's a really good way to just probably summarize how you would incorporate or build load management into a program. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because yeah that's like i really like that because as you as you get better at something like you see i'm very likely to develop an uh an overuse injury if i started to work on a snatch now i'm very unlikely to develop one because every fucking rep is so different you know what i mean um like every rep is so different now i also can't probably put enough load in that skill through my body to hurt myself but then a great athlete could easily develop knee or, t- or elbow issues. And it's because there's, it's because they're so good at that movement that it's like they're stressing the same tissues in, in a very similar way over and over again. So they don't necessarily need more variability in the movement, like, Oh, catch the snatch in a, a different way. Every time that's going to make the skill potentially worse rather than better, but they need more variety in their training where actually, yeah, you're not just doing these two or three movements all of the time. We're doing hundreds of movements. That's where you're doing all like you're doing your, your plyos. You're just trying to develop a really well-rounded athlete. And I think it's important for people to understand that. And that goes for every single sport athletes that are just doing clients, people that are just doing the same movements again and again and again. It's there. It's not a, it's not a variability problem. It's a variety problem in my opinion. It's a lack of variety. That's the pr- well. That's well, the we we think of it like in most weightlifting gyms, the way that they would solve load management would just be let's just do the same movement that you normally do, but just a little bit lighter. So yeah. <laughs> that's not really solving the problem or managing load very well. So they're thinking about cool. Well, I just don't want to stress your body too hard. So let's just do these back squats at like a really meaningless weight, which is just a waste of time. So why don't we just think about instead? How about we just put you in a you know in a split squat? And we can load that up or a machine squat or a, uh, something that has a bit more external stability or maybe just like a leg extension. And that's mm-hmm. going to drive a high level of stimulus, but with a different cost of fatigue rather mm-hmm. than just waste a slot of movement. And just, exactly. be, like, <laughs> and just be like, just movement. do light squats, just do light deadlift. This is the light deadlift day, which is just basically useless training. Mm-hmm. Yeah. hundred exactly. percent. I couldn't agree more. <laughs> I like what you said about the client, uh, ex- ask the client to explain back to me. Um, so I do that a lot with my clients, especially first assessment, like someone who is injured or actually not injured, more so in pain. Like I have knee pain. I've had it for years and I don't do it as much now because I get, I get kind of, I get smarter people are more intelligent or, or, and I don't even mean that as a, as a knock. I get more people who are more interested in, in this stuff. So typically they're, they're, they've learned more on the movement side of things and on the pain side of things. But previously you'd get, you get someone like in my town who has been to five physios and, and they have all these stories and they're coming in bitching about the previous physio saying, he said this, <laughs> he said that. So then we'll do, like, I'll do an assessment and, and I never like that. Like I never get into, a lot of people will get into, yeah, he's fucking shit. Like my way. Who are you is working the way. with? S and C coaches? No, all right. <laughs> and <Go> um, <laughs> and um, no, it seems like the bitching thing is like universal. <laughs> it's universal. <laughs> it's a human trait. Yeah. Um, so so they'll 
so yeah, then I do an assessment and I'll, I'll, or I'll do a full session with them and I'll ask them, I'll try and be as clear as possible and I'll ask them, okay, say you're going home to your wife later on. Can you explain now to me what the, explain as if you're explaining to her what like I described your issue as and how we're going to try and fix it or clean it up or make it better. And the shit that they come back with is like, <laughs> I, <laughs> I didn't say that. <laughs> I didn't say anything like that. So that's what you see, you know, you see online, like people saying, bitching about, oh, this physio keeps giving this diagnosis or saying this about people. There is a lot of that stupid physios saying stupid things and stupid coaches <laughs> saying stupid things, but also people just interpret the things however the fuck they want, <laughs> you know? So that's really interesting that you you ask someone to like explain. We just spent 20 minutes or 10 minutes coaching a movement. Now explain to me in your eyes, like what we just worked on. Oh, but honestly, it's more so at this point for my entertainment. I will just say to them, <laughs> I'm like, just tell me like the story. Just, I feel like that can be just one of the posts. I asked 10 of my athletes to come up with what a snatch is. And this is what they said. And it's like, oh my God, that's a new exercise. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. But it's just, it makes it fun as well. And then it makes me realize like, are you paying attention? You, you weren't fucking listening at all. You mm-hmm. like, oh, was I meant to be remembering that? It's like, dude, mm-hmm. like yeah uh, but, but that's the i've spoken about a few times like conversations over cues not over cues but as in like if someone if your cues aren't working it's because they don't understand the movement it's not that they need more cues it's actually you need to step away and have a chat here and say like why are we doing this and and what are we trying to achieve and what does this what's your understanding of this movement and then once you get that, usually like one cue will will take the box no problem so clearly there you're having a conversation and you're seeing like it's not more cues that they need they actually don't have a fucking clue what we're doing (laughs) (laughs) but isn't that like what coaching is i feel like the art of coaching is so lost probably because of the uh the development of like online coaches and whatnot i've had some coaches come in recently that have done so much mentoring and then i'll get them to practice the thing that they've been mentoring and i'm like dude I just, know. just sign up with me for just a month. Like my members that know none of what you're talking about and haven't done those mentorships could coach, could run this class and you yeah. have so much theoretical understanding, but you are, you're terrible at doing the thing that you're trying to learn. Yeah. And sometimes that theory can be quite useful. I'm like, yeah, yes. Like I'll, I'll shit stir him so bad. I'll be like, yeah, stay in mid stance. They're like, oh yeah, mid stance. I know that one. I'm like fucking dude. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I shouldn't have to say what that is. I should have to say, like, just bend your knees. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's... I know. Uh, it's crazy. I, I, I know. I know. And that's where, like, I, fr- I get frustrated because I get bucketed in with a lot of people who dive into a lot of theory. And I think now the, the idea is that, like, if you... The more... It's actually a fairly accurate idea, but the idea is, like, the more theory you understand, the worse coach you actually are. Or, or like automatically that means you can't coach or automatically that means you can't <laughs> cue in a simplistic way. And that actually is the reality for a lot of people. It's fucking insane. It's, it's, it's There's insane. an art to it. There's an art to it. You do it very well. And yeah, that's something we that get, I'm always trying to develop. We get a lot of people come into our workshops and say like that they had heard a lot of this stuff before um, from us or from others. Actually... The more and more they go on, the more like they haven't, to be honest, uh, because it's it's very different from a lot of other people's stuff, I think. At least I want it to be. 
and but the thing that they take away is like the coaching side of it is actually doing it <laughs> well because you look at a lot of seminars i just had i'm trying to organize a seminar for sydney that's one of my goals for this year is to go there and to book out or sell out a seminar whether it's just for my clients just to meet my sydney clients because um, mm-hmm. i just think that would be fun but um, I was looking at, they've got someone else going there. I'm looking at the brief. He's like, oh, this is the brief, you know, just to compare what you were trying to do. And they're spending so much time on like, oh, this is the, this is the hang snatch. This is the high hang snatch. It's like, no one gives a shit about that. They are so poor at communicating at the, like those things. Just show me how you teach the movement and I'll be yeah. able to clean up your processes so much faster um, mm-hmm. through good and clear communication. But yeah, definitely an underrated piece um, of, of a good yeah. course. It is, it is. And that, that, that lead, it does lead people to be the idea that like, okay, less knowledge is better uh, because like the more, the more I learn, the less I can coach. It's not the case. It's less knowledge is never the answer. It's, it's being able to do everything better. It's been able to coach better. It's been able to understand it better, assess better, communicate better, sell it better just get better results. It's everything. Um, so I think, yeah, the coaching side of it, that's the fun part is being able to see very clearly like I can see so clearly what this person's strategy is and then usually I can clean it up like I don't mean I like you whoever can clean it up pretty quickly once you can see it if you're a good coach but yeah most of these people can't actually coach it because they can't do it because they've never tried it they've just thought about it (laughs) you know (laughs) which is wild. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I would agree with you on that. Um, mm-hmm. Do you think that that's something that you've developed over time or do you feel like you've just naturally been a good communicator? I feel like the fact that you kind of have that marketing background, I feel like you're always thinking about, okay, what's my message? How can I refine my message? I feel like that's, the, is that the type of person you are? Or do you feel like maybe you have like that, you've had like intellectual soundboards, you'll bounce ideas off or. I have no soundboards. I have no just read the room fucking I don't know I don't know I don't know either I don't know I'm not good at introspective stuff like that where you ask me like or where people ask me like how did this develop and blah 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 I'm not I'm really poor at that I'm really poor at mm. figuring out like what or what type of person are are you a what type of person you know all these like neurotypes and stuff like I don't know no I don't don't I go am. into that no that 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 it that gives me a headache yeah well i know i don't but in general like any of these questions i don't know what type of person i am i I feel like for myself um it's it's innate i just feel like you're either a good communicator or you're an what did stephen king say if you're a good writer you can probably be great but you're not going to be excellent (laughs) yeah i feel like uh sometimes some of those some of those skill trees are capped out yeah i think i don't know i think when I look at, I think a big part of it is, I think you're right. And I think a big part of it is, did you read books when you were younger? Uh, did you read when you were younger? It doesn't matter what you read, like some kind of story, Roald Dahl or something like that. But I, I did a lot. I did a decent bit of reading when I was younger. I'm not a great writer, but I do. I think I know how to tell a story. And if you look at comedians telling stories, you can, you're you're right. You can just read the room. You can you're just speaking. You know you know like you're 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 in a room with someone. You're in a group of friends, and someone is talking, and they're just fucking banging on, and they can't read the room that like this is going down like a lead balloon here. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like 
I, I don't, I'm definitely not the best storyteller. I'm definitely not the best, the funniest person, far from it. Uh, not the most entertaining person, but I can sit in a room and if I'm telling a story, I can tell that it's going down like a lead balloon and I'll finish <laughs> that story pretty quickly, you know? So I don't know. I think I'm an okay communicator and I think I just not particularly intelligent. So I, I have to like make things fairly simple for myself a lot of the time. And I think that helps, you know? Um, Yeah, I'm going to, you have made me think about that. Like how... For me, but I, I do hang- think I'm a good coach. I do think I'm a really good co- at coaching. So I, I don't know how that came about. Maybe it's innate. Maybe it's not. Hmm. It's interesting. But I have a I, I I have an order of priority with my exercises, and I have a very good eye for movement. So I think a lot of it comes back to a good biomechanical knowledge. I, I think a shit ton of it comes back back to a good biomechanical knowledge, biomechanical knowledge because when you're like let's say I'm teaching a hinge and this will be hopefully practical information for people like the order of priority let's say you're teaching a kickstand hinge so there's things that you can do with rotation of the pelvis things that you can do with the neck things that you can do with the hand positions things that you can do with the ribs and the breathing there's so many things and once you like I teach people all of those things at a, at a workshop but then I explain, hopefully explain that there's an order of priority. The first order of priority is push your hips back without your knee moving. Because, no, actually, the first order of priority is bend your knee. Get up in a good, get set up in a good position. The second order of priority is push your hips back without straightening your knee. Because if you, if you can't do that, it does not matter about rotation it does not matter about necks or spines or pelvises or neutral pelvis or anything like that if they keep straightening their knee nothing else matters so like my knowledge around just that in itself when coaching a hinge means i can be so clear on my cue and there's many ways to stop them bending your knee i can put my hand in the back of their knee i can put a finger at the front of their knee I can put their knee against something i can put their knee behind something i can keep telling them don't straighten your knee don't move your knee it doesn't matter, like, I have all these tools to stop them straightening their knee, but the order of priority is none of the other shit matters if they straighten their knee. So maybe that's the answer is just, like, being super clear on what we actually need to work on. Because if someone keeps straightening their knee, I know that it won't work. There's no point doing the exercise if they keep, mostly no point doing the exercise if they keep straightening their knee. So I think maybe it comes back to that. So it comes back to having thought out processes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so then, that, that's the that's the key. Damn it! I wish. Key. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's the key. And a lot of like, people don't have really thought out ideas, and that's something that I even knew in myself when I started writing the mentorship or writing the handbook. I was like, "Fuck." Okay, now I actually have to think about stuff when I put it down on paper. Now I actually have to reflect internally and what are my priorities. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. So what? Yeah, thinking about not just what your priorities are, but your order of priorities in your movements. If like, is there is there a keystone to some of the the cleans, the clean and jerks, the snatches? Like thinking about what the keystone things are there that if if people get this wrong, everything else goes to shit. That's something worth thinking about. Hey guys, David here. Just wanted to take a super quick break from the show to tell you about our foot program slash Achilles slash ankle slash toe, shin, calf, just lower leg program. So it shows you the exact step-by-step progression that I use with all my lower leg clients 
I didn't think anything would eclipse the popularity of lower body basics. And honestly, the foot program is doing it. People absolutely love it. It's been made its way through the industry like wildfire. So if you haven't uh, got it, got your hands on it yet, I think it's probably the single thing, biggest thing you could do to improve your results that you're getting with your clients and also change how you move from the ground up. So I'll put the link in the show notes. Check it out. I promise you won't regret it. Uh, tell me about your come up on the social media side of things you released a program or your your manual um and i think you're pushing hard on it looks like you're pushing hard like pushing your ideas out trying to be consistent with that so what are you up to there with social media um i want to do a daily post so bad like i just that's like my commitment so it says like i have these three things on my whiteboard it says daily post must do that. And I usually do that at 1030 at night, which is really bad. That's when I'm the most, my most creative. Uh, and then it's like YouTube. I try and put out a couple a week on YouTube. That's growing slowly. Um, but when the mentorship's on, I really find it hard to just put a, I don't want to post unless it's thought provoking, which is, I've kind of fucked myself up there, but anyway, um, Mm. I just hate those posts where it says to uh, get eight hours of sleep and drink water. Uh, And Mm -hmm. it seems to be a lot of the coaches really like putting that out there. So Mm -hmm. I, um, I'm, I'm much more likely to put out a long carousel, which uh, is kind of like my arguments or my thoughts around one of those uh, topics. So whether it's like, I don't know what some of the people can look at the posts that I've been doing lately, but those have been, uh, those have been going really well. And those have been, there's a strategy behind that. And that is that I want the page to grow really slowly and I don't want it to go viral. And I don't want a lot of engagement as far as like a lot of new people coming to the, coming to the page. I want them to slowly filter through, slowly interact with things and then potentially message me or buy something. I am not interested in putting out reels. I wouldn't, I'm not posting any more reels. Um, I'm really deliberate on, it must be a post or carousel. Uh, and it must be like, I must find it interesting. If I don't find it interesting, why would I put it out there? So um, they, they've been- why, why, why no reels? No reels because I don't want them to go viral. Mm. <laughs> and I don't, and I feel like a lot of reels do quite poorly. Um, the engagement's really poor on some of the reels. And unless it's like a very- I don't know. I just feel like my style at the moment, the way I, I, I'm enjoying writing, I'm enjoying um, just maybe typing out a few thoughts. And then I feel like I compare some of those concepts quite well to some of the video ideas. And it yeah. explains the message that I'm trying to get across quite simply. Yeah. And I feel like the carousel, I don't know, people get a bit more of a dopamine kick out of just like swiping through. One of the things I've found with reels is people just don't want to wait 10 mm. seconds to learn everything or see the dot points. I'd rather just can I just swipe through it at my own pace? Mm-hmm. Um, those tend to have more saves and sends. Um, so like the engagement's there and people interact with it a little bit better than some of the other style of posts. But yeah. uh, as far as the content itself, like doesn't really matter real fucking whatever you want to do. I don't really care what people do. That's what works for me. But as far as those posts, they're very much, um, they're, I don't know, you kind of have a very similar style in terms of like the carousel. I feel like it, it kind of tells a bit of a story. It tells a story. And, and then at the end, buy my product. At yeah. the end. Get it I don't little... put it. I, I no, don't no, put no. It I, no, no. I, 
I, I do it here and there. Uh, I do it here and there because I think it's valuable. Or I might have like, um, what I want to do now is like, this is coming up. By the way, this is coming up. And I feel like it it, it doesn't, it might get buried in the stories. Yeah. I feel like it gets buried quite often. People will tap through and not see it. Yeah. Um, but I feel like the, the person who's generally interested and people people don't like them. Like people don't press like, they, they will read it all. I know they're reading it all and they'll see the announcement at the end. Um, but yeah, I feel like the Yeah, they structure... don't press like. You see... They're this always is, watching it. <clears throat> this is... Uh, so some of my posts, like recent posts I've done, I've got, done a lot more carousels recently. They'll get 5,000 shares and 3,000 likes. So... <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's coaches. Uh, and I know there's a lot of people who bitch about <laughs> me. Yeah. Uh, would never like or comment. There's people that have been watching my stories. Every story, you can go in and see who looks. And it's like every story they've watched for five years and never liked <laughs> one post. Why yeah, do you think? I, I, why did he? Why do you think they're doing that? It's, they don't want to show that they're like. They don't want to show. They're they're just people who are takers, though. They want to just take everything and never even say like, "Here's the return on my my." Here's my gratitude. Just literally click and like that's and and it sounds like such a small thing, but that's that tells me a lot about that type of person. I still think the like button is a dead button, but uh, but anyway, it's, it's not though because I would <laughs> use that on. I would use that. I don't consume almost any content. If I'm on Instagram, I'm, I'm doing it on mm. my own page. But like, I would purposefully, even if I don't really like a post, if I like the person, I'll click like on the post. Mm. Yeah, I. If I hate the post, I won't. But if it's like an okay post, I'll give, I'll throw them a like. I think so it's then a as little far as, thumbs as up. As far as like coming up with more of those thought-provoking posts, not it's not saying like they're like five. Oh, this is like my brain is expanding. Um, but as but some of those can be like with you. This is like a question for you. or We can talk about it. But I feel like sometimes it can be quite difficult to continuously refine those ideas or come up with those ideas like it's i people who say it's easy i just like post it's i just talk about whatever and there's like a 10 slide carousel like fuck off i know it took you uh <laughs> three hours to do that post um and someone who i really admire is uh, alec blennis he's got the murph world he's got the murph record um okay. alec blennis you might you might see his post anyway doesn't matter doesn't matter but what he does really well is he won't post unless he, he thinks it's interesting and he'll adds he adds so much value some of his q a's his q a's are so valuable he's so intelligent um and he doesn't he just doesn't post for the sake of it and that's something that i just don't want to do so mm -hmm. if i'm not feeling it i don't need to just shill out rubbish um yeah. for the yeah. sake of it so i think yeah. it's a bit of a strategy there it's a strategy it's a fine line like i've I've challenged myself a lot to put out a good post. Now, some of them are reposts and stuff. Some of them are okay. Some of them I think are very good. Some of them don't do well. Some of them do do well. I literally, that doesn't cross my mind anymore. Like how it's just do I think it's okay or not? But I've challenged myself to do, like you're saying, that guy Alec or Alex, is it? Uh, like try and do good posts, but also try and do them every single day. Mm. And that's a challenge. And I, I like, I think whenever you can choose to work on a difficult thing, work on a difficult thing. Because what you're saying is like, anyone can do posts. There's such a low barrier to entry in this industry and obviously on social media where anyone can do a post saying, drink your water, like get your sleep. And, and like, that's, that's valuable information. Don't get me wrong. But it's, 
it's a low barrier to entry to get into the fitness industry. So that means anyone can get in, but I want to do things that are high barrier to entry and that requires thinking. And so any, anyone can say like track your calories on my fitness pal. That doesn't make you any better than anyone else saying that. Uh, better is a bad word, but make you stand out anymore. Anyone can say, get your sleep. I want to be the person that anyone can now buy knees over, look at knees over toes guys, Instagram and thinks they can fix knee pain. I want to be the person that can help someone's knee pain that has been to 15 of the best physios, coaches, doctors, surgeons in the world. I want to be the person who like you've, you're, you're an athlete earning millions of dollars a year here and you're going to, you're going to go to the Olympics. You're going to win a gold medal, this and that. And no one, no one can help your Achilles issue except for me. So that requires, not except for me, but I can be the person that can help that when a lot of people can't. And that is a high barrier to entry thing. There's like, people can't replicate that. So not, not very easily at least. So that also requires me doing high barrier to entry things, which is proving that I'm that type of person. And that means doing high value posts for me at the moment every single day which is a massive challenge but it's worth it i think for me at the moment it's worth it i would agree yeah i would agree i think the high barrier to entry or certain people can you know try look at people another person's stuff and try and replicate it but um yeah i think that's probably what i've been trying to do then without thinking Mm -hmm. about it i've just been trying to make things that are maybe shown in a different light. And obviously if you're saying it's, 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 it's that, then yeah, then it's working. Yeah. Because when you look at when like you're, you're developing a model, which around, around movement and around weightlifting and teaching that model that inherently like is high barrier to entry in a couple of ways, high barrier to entry in terms of the only people that are going to come to you to learn are people that are interested. So are, are like actually intellectual, actually want to think, actually want to be better. So there's a barrier to entry in terms of who's going to come in, but also there's a barrier to entry in terms of like how you separate yourself from the, the rest. So those are two, you're ticking two really important boxes there. And that is not something that someone can just buy from you and take and like steal or replicate overnight. They can't do that. You've put years into this. They can't just replicate that overnight. And that is a key barrier to entry. And like you, before we started the recording, you spoke about how you're, you said to me how you're, I feel like I'm almost ready to like really hit go on this. And just, I've been consistent for quite a while and now I'm ready to, maybe it's like, maybe in my words, it would be like, I've given so much value for a long time and now I'm ready to, I'm ready to cash some of those checks in. So like the, the the only reason you can cash those checks in is because you've you've given out a lot in the first place. Yeah, I think uh, that's something I've learned from you. Just constantly trying to deposit information or or constantly making deposits into the community. So, yeah. but it's not even I, I I wouldn't I don't view it as like it's a virtuous thing to do. I just view it as that's just what you should do, or just yeah. just or just what you do. There's no connotation associated to it. And I just think if you're going to build something uh ultimately you have to like make the like you have to put your hand out first so if people are interested in these kind of concepts then uh that's what i've been trying to delve into and trying to piece together 
because it, it's in weightlifting it speci like specifically uh, a lot of those models are so outdated and a lot of those models or thought processes are so old and haven't been I like to think about it like this, like imagine if Steve Jobs, when he died, everyone was like, okay, whatever he was thinking about at that day, that is the pinnacle of Apple. And mm -hmm. they're like, no, well, we've carried on from his success and we've developed, we've developed greater products. We continue to grow the company. And you think about these coaches from the seventies, if they were still alive today, or if they were still training today, they would have evolved the sport so much further than what you guys have done. Because all you've done is you've taken the stuff from the seventies and you've brought it into 2023 and you haven't made any changes and those concepts just haven't evolved. They haven't been updated and they're not relevant with the people that they're working with. So not only do we know so much more about human movement or have, do we have access to so much more intelligent people who have really thought out models, um, that in of itself is so valuable. And then when you bring in, um, you know, different people from the industry, I think about Matt Watson, who, hasn't really heard about a lot of these, like he probably doesn't, hasn't really care for or doesn't really need PRI concepts to help him help someone with human movement because he's got his own principles. He's got his own model, the way he sees human movement and shin angles somehow are a big part of like, not somehow it's not by chance. It's by that has emerged as being an important part of pr propulsion or important part of human movement yeah. and we can see that regardless of who you are whether you're a dgr model whether you're matt watson whether it's pri a lot of those same concepts are going to come to the surface because they're universally true so it doesn't really matter which one you want to use ultimately as time goes on we're all going to be sharing the same thing uh, because yeah. we're all talking about human movement in a very similar way we might use specific different language but ultimately that's what i'm trying to do and and um, someone who's actually helped me with that has been um, Mladen Janovic and his, he's got a very modular approach to programming and everyone is going the other way. You need individualization. If you're if, like, there's so many ads I'm seeing on social media at the moment or so many things where it's like, the reason why you're struggling is, you know, you're going to get a tailor-made program mm -hmm. where Mladen comes from a, a data science background where, or he, he has that uh, lens of, of data science and those principles where everything is very modular. I pull this out, put this in, and that is going to create this response and having those slots and categorizing things in these kinds of buckets. So there's certain things that you're looking for in a hinge and that'll all be very modular. And then there's certain rep schemes. Um, I feel like AI can be a really powerful tool for you to leverage or create that kind of programming model. And I think that's just going to make you filter information better. So I think, yeah, that's, that's definitely where I'm going with it all with, with all the posts is just trying to help coaches with that, with a good model. Like you say, with your model, David, how easy is it for you to filter a new movement system? It's so easy. It just passes yeah. through your model. And then suddenly you're like, Oh, actually I might take this concept or I didn't mm -hmm. think about it in this way. Or you're like, fuck none of that. That just all, that was all shit. That just didn't even get through the system. So it makes it so easy for you. And especially for young coaches who are being bombarded with lots of information to think, well, no, that's actually, um, this is the kind of concepts I want to be thinking about and the rest can go to the side. Yeah. I love it, man. We had a, in Florida, Jeff, the Flexi Bulls place, we, there was a, uh, a young coach at the end of the weekend and just pretty new to the industry. And somehow we ended up at like our, my workshop first, that was pretty much like the first workshop he went through, but he's heard all people speaking about like all these si other systems and like, not me, but other people saying like how shit certain systems are and so certain systems are 
incredibly shit, but I just wouldn't be saying that about them necessarily. If you're one to one to one with me, I might, but on podcasts, I probably wouldn't say too much. But he said, like, how am I going to? Uh, he asked like a small group of us after workshop, how am I going to avoid this stuff, or how am I going to? Yeah, like avoid making all these mistakes and and seeing so, something like that. And and like my answer and a couple of people's answers, and I think Jeff's answer was like, you're not going to, you're going to be exposed to all of this stuff, and you just hopefully have a good model, a good starting point to to filter out the crap. You can't you can't avoid it. It's just being able to see what's good and what's not. And like like what you're saying with Matt. That was so clear to me when I first came across Matt because I was I taught a workshop and I, I had done a couple of podcasts talking about yielding plyometrics. And I came across Matt and I had him on the podcast and he was talking about deep tier plyometrics. And like at the, almost, almost at the same time, now we both have been doing that stuff for, for years, but almost at the same time we like came across each other and just chatted about this stuff and I, I could just see someone who's a really good coach who's able to think about this and that's exactly like the and that's not that's just an example but like all the things that Matt talks about like a full foot contact or being able it's basically being able to get on your midfoot better it's all the same thing it's, it's all the same, same thing. thing so that's where mid, like straight mid, away saying uh, mid stance you're just saying that like you're saying get yeah midfoot how important those things are mm-hmm Exactly, exactly. And like, that's not to say I might not coach a plyometric where like there's different types of, you can do a, you can do a hop for more, more of a horizontal biased hop and you're going to have a more heel contact maybe. Um, you're going for a little bit more distance than a little bit more height. You're going to have probably like you're coming straight down on top of the foot more. So you have more of a heel contact. If you're doing a, like a split stance uh, pogo, for example, you're going to have the back foot is going to have a more of a forefoot contact. So like, it's not to say like you should always contact just on the midfoot or somewhere around the mid to forefoot, but regardless of which one of those we're doing, we want to be able to find the midfoot at some stage throughout it really well and push from there. So like I could just see that that's exa- exactly the, what you're saying there, like having a lens, I could just literally see straight away within five minutes of talking to him or looking at his contact tent. Like this guy knows what he's talking about. Yeah, you know? he's got a well thought out model. And and exactly. that's one of the things that I bring up with the coaches at the start is, and you, you can make it very conceptual and you can lose a lot of people there. And I don't want to do that. So it's better if we just talk about, you know, what are good models? What's an example of one? And Matt's one's the one I bring up uh, because it's just so easy to, to discuss and talk about. And, and see, yeah. Yeah, like exactly. It's very visual like, yeah. Yeah, and then, and then you can look at something like, say, I don't know, you might talk about an old school weightlifting technical model and how that might not be applicable in lots of different contexts. So universally, it's probably not a good model because it doesn't hold up to when you test it. And something that you talk about a lot is how confident you guys are with DGR and how those principles, people can try and pull them apart. But ultimately, uh, the principles that it rests on are going to be, you know, pretty strong and present in a lot of different good models or like a lot of models that are tried and tested everywhere. So mm-hmm. that that's all it is. Exactly, man. Um, Brandon legend. It's nice to see your come up. I think you're, I think, uh, <laughs> having a, having a, having an eye for talent. I think I have a, an eye for talent. Like you can see, you, like probably most people do. You can see the, you can see when you're working with a client, you can see like 
they're going to be a good client or not when you're working with when you're in a workshop you can see who the best people in the workshop are going to be pretty quickly um <laughs> yeah so i think you're you're definitely one of the people in the industry that's going to shape the industry and do a really good job over the next 10 years so keep at it man thank you very much for coming on thanks so much david what do you want to plug or where should people follow you uh they can just follow me on instagram and that's it go from there buy your shit <laughs> we're, all, we're all having a crack we're all gonna have a crack today all right <laughs> oh, um, okay brother talk to you soon thanks david hey guys david here again i just wanted to come on and kind of i felt compelled a little bit to come on and summarize the last probably 15 or 20 minutes of that chat and i just wanted to want you to try and recognize when you see someone when we look at people that are at the top of the industry or any industry you start to see people you, start, you maybe put them on a pedestal or you think like they're amazing and I'm not as amazing. And I want you to recognize with someone like Brandon, a lot of the guests that are on the podcast um, and, and me as well, hopefully there's no pedestal there. Hopefully you can see a path to how people can get to doing a really good job. And hopefully you can start to recognize some of the qualities that they employ and are, are just part of them that helps them get there and see it along the way rather than just looking at it in a few years and saying okay everyone looks up to them they're amazing and i'm not uh start to see it happening in front of your eyes start to recognize it happening in front of your eyes and i think there's like four three or four key things that for someone like brandon or others if you can recognize it then you can start to be it yourself or just do it yourself so one is just don't be a dickhead don't be could be a good guy a good person a good guy or a good girl don't be a dickhead being a dickhead is easy you will get quick wins on social media but in the long run you're just going to collect a lot of people that really don't like you and even the people who kind of like their con your content they're probably dickheads as well so number one be a good person number two have fun smile like just be yourself ha don't take everything so seriously all the time we're talking about movement yes we're talking about pain yes we're talking about performance some of this it's all it's serious business but you don't have to take yourself so seriously all the time have fun with it have a laugh relax a little bit number three uh put your thoughts out there or actually number three before even that one think use your brain think about things think uh, uh, try and critically think i know that's easy to say but try and look at when someone's saying something don't just take it for face value don't be like a skeptic being skeptical is fine but don't be closed-minded um but also don't be naive try and think about things use your brain and number four once you've used your brain put your thoughts out there and i think if you can do those four things like be a nice person have fun think about things deeply and put your thoughts out there you do that consistently over time there's no excuse and there's no reason why you won't get to exactly where you want to get to and that's all i'm trying to do as well and i'm trying to do that consistently as i can and it's easy to fall into the trap of being anarchy bollocks all the time or like being super cynical about everything all the time or being super naive about everything it's that middle ground being nice being cynical when you need to be but actually analyzing things putting your thoughts out there having fun that would be a uh, that would be a, a good recipe, I would say, when you see someone like Brandon or you see others who are making 
or I think are doing big things in the industry. So um, secondly, I also wanted to try and sell you something. I wanted to try and get you onto DGR Interactive. The other common recipe um, that a lot of great people have in the industry is they're on DGR Interactive. Like Brandon, like others, they learn there. We have all these videos that are only like 10 minutes, 15 minutes long. You can watch them. It doesn't take long and you will learn a shit ton. It's very practical and you will learn. So just an example of some of the recent uploads. I did a gate analysis on a, on a client, an athlete that I was working with. I looked at him running from a rear view. So we started to look at these hikes and drops of the, of the pelvis, this kind of frontal plane, um, side bends, lateral kind of compression, stuff like that. I did a video on improving shoulder internal rotation. When you look at the anatomy of the posterior and posterior lateral shoulder, you start to see like how important adduction might be of the shoulder to load and lengthen these tissues and i spoke about that and gave you a couple of practical drills there peter wright actually did a guest presentation on return to play progressions for multi-directional athletes so getting athletes back to running and sprinting and change of direction and all of these options i think it's like 23 minutes long just pure gold um there's a couple of videos there on asymmetry center of mass hip lock uh there's, I'm just looking at the, like the list in front of me. Lee Taft did an, a 180 series, a lot of warm-up drills. Graham Morris has one on high-speed running. I did another one on the glute max, IT band, and energy transfer. These are all like 10, 15 minutes long, pure gold. If you have a 10 minutes a week, you can make so much improvement. So jump onto that, DJ Interactive. I'll put the link in the bio. And um, apart from that, uh, the link in the show notes. Yeah, link in the show notes. Apart from that, um, hope you enjoyed the episode, and I'll chat to you guys next time.